It's time for security now. Steve Gibson is here. More on the Sony hack. Uh, plus, we'll answer questions from you, our audience. Stay tuned. The last security now before Christmas is coming up next. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for security now is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. Hi, this is Leo Laporte, and if you'd like to help us design our new website, I invite you to visit twit.to slash navtest. We've got eight quick questions we'd like to ask you that will help us make the navigation easier to use. That's twit.to slash navtest. Thanks a lot. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 486, recorded December 16th, 2014. Your questions, Steve's answers, number 203. Security Now is brought to you by Braintree. If you're a developer or manager of a mobile app and searching for the right payments API, check out Braintree. Braintree's new V.0 SDK makes it easy to support multiple mobile payment types with one simple integration. To learn more and to try out their sandbox, go to braintreepayments.com slash twit. And by IT Pro TV. A good IT pro is always learning, and IT Pro TV is the resource to keep your skills and knowledge up to date. IT Pro TV offers engaging courses streamed to your Roku, computer, or mobile device. For a free seven-day trial and 30% off the lifetime of your account, go to itpro.tv slash security now and use the code SN30. And by Harry's. For guys who want a great shave experience for a fraction of what you're paying now, go to harrys.com. Get $5 off your first purchase by entering the code SECURITYNOW when you check out. Time for Security Now, the show that protects you and your loved ones online with the explainer-in-chief himself, Stephen Gibson of the Gibson Research Corporation. Well, I should say happy holidays, Stephen. Thank you, Leo. I guess it, 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 we are at this point. Uh, we're out on the 16th of December, so we're halfway into or through December. And... Uh, yeah, we all had the spirit and lights and and we're whistling. I was Christmas drinking tunes. eggnog oh, this morning. Before I forget, mm. um, I think I have mentioned to you before, but I have been in a live theater where Patrick Stewart was doing his one-man show oh. of A Christmas Carol. Because you uh, heard Andy Anako talking about that on MacBreak Weekly earlier today. That's his yes. pick. He loves the audible book of that. Well, and I didn't know there was an audible book of it. Yeah. So I wanted to tell our listeners, I waited until the camera was rolling <laughs> or you were recording this or whatever it is you do. Um, what is it I do? I don't know. Uh, push buttons <laughs> yes. and magic happens. Um, to tell our listeners that if you're fans of Patrick Stewart, you know, from, of course, Star Trek Next Generation, um, it really is. I mean, Andy is absolutely right. You know, Andy told the story during Mac Break Weekly that annually he gets his – wait, he did say cassettes. So he can't still have a cassette player. But, but, but <laughs> With all, Andy, but it's auto, possible. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe he's been doing it since the era of cassettes when it was first made available on Audible. Anyway, so Patrick Stewart, A Christmas Carol um, on Audible. And wow, I mean, it, it was, you know, just him sitting on a stool and occasionally walking around a little bit. It, it was fabulous. And uh, I'm probably going to get it myself. 
which means I'll fi- finally have to get an Audible account. Wow. Yeah. Because wow. it, it was, it would be fun to have that. It, it was spectacular. So just a, a heads up for our, for our listeners who like Patrick. Uh, we had a relatively uh, slow week. Uh, got some news, of course. Um, there are new upcoming changes in Chrome being uh, band- bandied about, we want to talk about, uh, with Google continuing to push security. Uh, news of a previously unknown devastating cyber attack surfaced uh, that had been kept quiet for 10 months but was m- massive. Um, and then I want to talk a little bit because there's been a lot of discussion. I mean, one of the things that happened, of course, our show last week, we talked about it was titled Expensive Lessons. And one of the things I did was enumerate the nature of the documents that were leaked uh, or stolen uh, by the hackers of Sony Entertainment. Well, since then, of course, we're starting to see all the salacious details yeah. of the content of the email. And so there's been a lot of interesting discussion. I know that you guys, you had a great coverage of the whole that whole issue on Twit on Sunday. Um, and so I want to talk a little bit about the ethics of disclosing illegally obtained content. And then Sony's new questionable strategy with the press about that. Uh, Verizon has what I would consider a ridiculous cipher phone app that they have just uh, announced. <laughs> I, I knew you'd laugh when you read about it. Oh, that. my Lord. <laughs> and we've got some miscellaneous fun stuff. And, of course, uh, questions from our listeners to put us on to other topics that indeed, uh, indeed we that do. we will be talking about. So, oh, great glad. show. I'm glad you're going to uh, – yeah, this is all good stuff. We'll talk about this. Before we get into uh, the news of the week, I want to talk a little bit about – uh, our sponsor, Braintree uh, Payments. Braintree is really a cool solution. Now, this is really d- directed at people who are uh, developers or maybe you're managing a mobile app and you want to have a, a payment API in your app. So this is a very specialized product. Braintree has an SDK called V.0 that makes it really easy to support multiple mobile payment types, including Apple Pay. Of course, you do want to support that, obviously. But also PayPal, even things like Bitcoin, Venmo, and all major debit and credit cards with one simple and fast integration. It really couldn't be more easy to do. Uh, with the Braintree V.0 SDK, and by the way, this is a simple, small snippet of code and you're all set up. Like takes less than 10 minutes. You really literally can integrate this in your mobile app so simply. Um, and you're going to love it. It supports Android, of course, iOS, of course, JavaScript clients, too. There are SDKs in seven different programming languages, .NET, Node.js, Java, Perl, PHP, Python, and Ruby. The code is beautiful. In fact, they even have a sandbox on the site at braintreepayments.com slash twit where you can see what it would look like. You can actually kind of implement it yourself, or they'll help you do it. Uh, they've got great customer service with a live person you can always talk to. Braintree, by the way, is the most secure way to pay. They're known for their back-end security. We know that that's important if you're listening to security now. They're merchant protection. You never have to worry about fraud because Braintree has you covered. It's tokenized. You know, it's that. It's what we were talking about, of course. Um, what was that, the uh, e, EMV uh, system? Right. Um, yeah, that's completely Euro, tokenized. EuroPay, MasterCard, and yeah. Visa. yeah. Uh, but they support uh, that and a lot more. And it's no surprise that if you look at it, they are being used by Uber, by Airbnb, Hotel Tonight, Living Social. They 
set it up originally for GitHub. GitHub has gone from zero to 60 with this. Yeah, I know you probably even, if you're a developer, know, you certainly know GitHub. You may even use it. So if you're looking for the right payments platform, I want you to check out Braintree V.0. It's an incredible SDK at BraintreePayments.com slash twit. Review the documentation. It's very easy. Play in the sandbox. You can give them a try with no commitment. Test your integration before you go to production. And once you integrate Braintree, the first $50,000 in transactions are fee-free. This is, I think this is the best offer we've ever had. BraintreePayments.com slash twit. Go to BraintreePayments.com slash twit. This is the easiest way to get Apple Pay and everything else into your app. All right, Steve, the news of the week. So um, some dialogue surfaced over in the Chromium, uh, Chrome developer team uh, area, suggesting that they want to push further with the the sort of the, the overall thrust that uh, Google has been making to secure the Internet. Um, they're planning – I know you're sitting down on your ball, so it's safe to tell you this, Leo. Uh-oh. They're, they're planning to explicitly mark non-HTTPS connections as non-secure in some new fashion in the user's experience. This um, isn't in, weren't they doing this before? I mean, this isn't new, is it? Yeah, no. Oh. So the idea was what we've had so far has been has been an indication if you are using HTTPS. Right. That is, you know, right. like the key is not broken or the lock is closed, right. you know, sort of a, a subtle clue. Then we went with the extended validation certificates. We, you know, added the green glow if you were using an EV cert. But if you were not secure, it was just kind of normal. What they're intending to do is, you know, like a skull and crossbones if you're not using TLS so that they'll so that they're going to they're going to further. I mean, they're basically going to start warning people when you're not using a secure connection. Well, but that's and, it isn't a lie. I mean, it is less secure. I hope it's not a skull and crossbones, though. <laughs> <laughs> this site is no. poison. I mean, if it's kind of a non-loaded thing, well, I mean, isn't that what the uh, open padlock was? You know? Yeah. Um, but you know, clearly their intention, though their 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 intent. Well, okay. What they said was, we, the Chrome security team, propose that user agents gradually, you know, that means browsers, gradually change their UX, the user experience, to display non-secure origins as affirmatively non-secure. We intend to devise and begin deploying a transition plan for Chrome in 2015. The goal of this proposal is to more clearly display to users that HTTP provides no data security. We'd like to hear everyone's thoughts on this proposal and to discuss with the web community about how different transition plans might serve users. Then they, they finish saying, we all need data communication on the web to be secure, private, authenticated, untampered. When there's no data security, the UA should explicitly display that so users can make informed decisions 
about how to interact with an origin. So, so they are clearly saying that they intend to displace a signal of some sort that, that, that you know, uh, causes users to be anxious or aware in a way that, that they're not currently when they're not on a secure connection or secured connection. I mean, I, I noticed they were careful to say non-secure rather than insecure right. because the two are not synonymous. It's not encrypted. Um, I, don't, I well, think the, the proof will be in the, in the implementation. I mean, this could be yes. completely innocuous. Or if they put a big banner up that said, don't go here, well, that wouldn't be so good. Or eh, 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 that, that would be a bit of a problem. They don't. Um, they don't tell us how they're going to do this. What it's going to look like? No. And 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 I mean, and and this at this point, this is just sort of a. This is something we think we should do. Now, I don't participate over there. I'm sure that some of our listeners do, and and so and they're inviting comments. What I would like to see, and I would love it if someone would get this into the discussion, is something we talked about recently. And that is, while we're going to be while like creating additional distinctions, I think it's important to to distinguish a domain validation certificate, a DV certificate, from anything higher class like an OV, the organization validation cert. Remember that the DV with the EFFs effort. Um, um, which is going to be uh, hitting around the same time frame, like second quarter of 2015, where that all becomes free and automated. Um, at the same time, it's important to understand that the the assertion being made is not that you're at the company whose site you are, but only that the domain name validates against the certificate. And that's a subtle but important distinction. So, it, I mean... If there's some way to, without confusing people, to, to say, well, no, we, we do have EV certs special, um, it would be nice to have organization validation somehow st- showing stronger than domain, like than the free automated certs that we're going to start having around the middle of, of 2015. And then, of course, they're going to want to do something that like, who knows what maybe a you know yellow triangle or an exclamation point but i mean what they're going to try to do is to affirmatively say say to people your data is not secure on this connection yeah i mean i we'll see yeah depends how they do it yeah. unlock you know an unlocked padlock is we've was there for years that's how Netscape did it, remember? Yeah, but you had to go looking for it. Yeah, it was like and, at the bottom of the... Right, and so the, the idea will be, this will be in the URL bar. It'll be, you know, in your face so that you're not, you know, so that you're being... I mean, their idea is to put pressure on those websites that will display that in order to induce them to go get themselves the free cert yeah. um, through the EFFs system. And I mean, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just um, be ready. Uh, it'd be nice. Yeah, yeah ex- exactly. Yeah, we'll see um, what they do. Turns out that uh, there was a major unreported cyber attack against the against that that went unreported from 
February 10th when it occurred until just a few days ago against Sheldon Adelson and his Sands properties, the Venetian and the Plaza. Um, uh, This was on February 10th that uh, they got hit by, by something that is reminiscent of the Sony attack but different because this didn't appear to be about about exfiltrating incredible amounts of information as did happen with the Sony attack, but rather d- deliberately attacking to hurt Sheldon and his properties. Um, it's believed that this that, that this is is a direct consequence of him making some very inflammatory statements. A few months before that, um, like I think it was October of 2013, he was on a a panel in Manhattan where he came down, you know, very like essentially ruthlessly against Iran. And uh, and it they were able to verify that these were hackers uh, that were traced back to Iran. And the point was made in the analysis that independent entities don't do anything with the without the Iranian government knowing what they're doing so the the, the sense being this had to have backing of of the government um, people our listeners uh, and my Twitter followers have have commented that it's annoying we don't know more about the technology of the Sony attack and hack um, what's fun is, a lot is known and is now available about this attack uh, that happened on February t- on February tenth. Um, uh, I, in fact, I I wanted to aim people at the story, so I it, which was covered in Business Week. Um, so I I created a Bitly shortcut to help people do it. Bit.ly/sans s a n d s hyphen attack all lowercase, because there's lots of information. They found, for example, a very small script that was written in Visual Basic, of all things, was installed in the system and and was um, implicated in this destruction. This thing wiped out servers it wiped out hard drives it flew through the network and and caused you know a, what essentially was they're estimating about 40 million dollars worth of damage to um you know the network infrastructure uh that the Las Vegas casinos run on and it also demonstrates the the kind of the, the sort of the nature of the attack when we were talking about the um the the Sony attack last week. I talked about how what normally happens in with with these advanced persistent threats is that bad guys get a, a, a foothold somewhere. They get a toe in the door somewhere. There, you know, in a sprawling network, there is some little mistake made. This this report explains that, and I don't remember now the details. It was in a completely different geographically remote casino because Sheldon has a bunch spread all over Asia um, and and not only Las Vegas, but also, you know, around the world. There was one casino where a small mistake was made that 
Uh, oh, I remember what it was. Um, uh, and a, uh, a brute force attack on their VPN was detected. And because that's relatively common, uh, they thought, okay, well, yeah, you know, people are trying to crack our, our VPN. And so th this was a VPN into the inter internal network at that facility. And somehow the bad guys found a way in and then that was their foothold. And then they were able to use that in order to jump over to the main Las Vegas properties network and set up their, you know, major devastating attack. So anyway, the the article was interesting because uh, it had a lot more detail about the way this was done. And so I thought our listeners would uh, find it uh, interesting. Actually, the um, couple of people want to know who Shelley is. And one of the reasons Del we're all very interested in this is because we all know Shelley. Ah, okay. Yes. Because he's so the founder of Shelley Condex. is... Um, he is the, what is it, 43rd, 44th most, uh, like, richest person in the world. Or maybe it's that he has $43 billion. He has $43 billion. Most yeah. of that. So the story of Shelley is fascinating. He created Comdex. Yes. And uh, got out just in the nick of time. <laughs> <laughs> and as far as I know, that's where he got his first billion. He sold the uh, trade show. And then he built casinos in Macau. That's where his big money came from. Um, but he does also on the sands. But isn't that relatively recent? I thought those were newer than his sands They're properties. Pretty new. Yeah, and that's when he really started to cash in. Right. Well, because he, in fact, those th those are uh, generating massive revenues right. for him. The other the other thing I think is uh, salient in this is uh, what we were talking about when we talked about the Sony thing last week. You could say, well, Sony Pictures Entertainment, they didn't really worry about security. You can bet. These are the, these are the <laughs> computers that operate the slots. They operate the security in the casinos. These are big, big targets uh, for money. So you can yes. bet they were state-of-the-art secured, I would guess. Wouldn't you? Yes. Well, yeah. For example, they knew when somebody was 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 pursuing a brute force attack on their VPN. So, you know, that's that that demonstrates they were looking at bandwidth and they were looking it. at yeah. logs and the fact that they've been able to 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 recreate the and this that's why this article is so interesting. They were able to recreate the 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 footprints of these attackers. They know where they got in, when they got in, what they did, how they moved across networks. And you only can do that if you've got really good logging in place. Right. You, you know, they obviously didn't stop them, but they, but they were at least able to, to retrospectively. Well, partly that's because these guys had no incentive to cover their tracks. They aren't going to get arrested for this, right? Right. And that was another that was another interesting point is that that, that this article talked about the fact that that what we're seeing now are cyber attacks against small pieces of U.S. infrastructure, and in the case of the U.S., that don't motivate the government to to respond. That is, oh well, it's too bad Sony, you know, got blasted, and it's, oh well, too bad Shelley got got hit. But you know, that doesn't merit a military response from the US government. And and so the article drew an interesting distinction that this was sort of the, the the these attacks were 
maybe what we're going to be seeing in the future was things that sort of slipped under the radar, but we're still doing substantial damage to small, you know, small pieces of of U.S. uh, domestic infrastructure. Yeah, I mean, this was clearly targeted at Shelley. He's very pro-Israel. He's very active. Yep. He gives a lot of money. In fact, he supported the Newt Gingrich campaign well beyond its uh, uh, stay fresh date. Um, but the in- <laughs> the interesting thing <laughs> is, uh, to me, is that here you have something that's highly secured, um, yes. and they still got in. And that was yes. our point last week, which is it's you can say all you want about how what a crap job Sony did. But I think a determined attacker with some skills and maybe a, a government behind them, it's going to be hard. We are, you know, along with this news is uh, news that the United States is very actively uh, going into the grid and trying to protect all those systems on the grid, many of which are run Good. by independent third parties who have not great practices. That's, yep. I mean, if you really want a cyber war, yep. you go after infrastructure. Yeah, and I think that maybe that's the point is that that's the kind of thing that could rally a, a military response from the U.S. if if a foreign country was was affirmatively found to be responsible for for producing, you know, damage to the public infrastructure as opposed to pieces of much smaller private infrastructure. Right. Easier. We'll see. Easier. Although yeah. I gotta think, there's nothing more secure than a casino. I mean, this no, is the back I, office I, operation of the Sands Casino. I, you raise a really good point, and a lot of the questions that we have today are are people uh, following up from last week's discussion about the uh, Sony breach. Yeah. But no, y- your point is a hundred percent. I mean, they their security had to be top notch, and yet, and this was the point that I you know I made last week when you know because from a standpoint of the things that interest our audience, the question is how do you prevent what happened to Sony? Exactly, and I. I rather gloomily said, I don't, know. don't think you can. I don't know. And so the point is that, again, their network, despite all of the focus that, as, as you rightly point out, they, that they brought to bear on security, um, at, you know, in these casinos, they still got hit really hard. Yeah. I mean, they were, the, the story explains they were running around pulling the network cables <laughs> out of machines that hadn't yet come down because this thing was Get just off rifling of that. air gas yes, yeah because exactly cuz cuz drives were being wiped by this thing yeah yikes pretty amazing so the ethics of disclosure um well I want to talk about this yeah yeah uh bloomberg view did a really nice article yesterday uh, titled that was that the headline was "Keep Publishing the Sony Emails," and and the from all the conversation that I've seen over the last week and reading and there's also been some interesting legal opinion. Um, one of the one of the determiners of what like that the press might use to decide what they say and what they deliberately withhold out of respect for the privacy rights of somebody whose information was stolen. Uh, And for example, we were talking about like, you know, comparing email content to nude photos of, of Hollywood people is 
whether the disclosure is in the public interest. That is, does it serve a valid public interest? Well, I want to hear so, this logic. Okay. I mean, you can make the argument the Pentagon Papers, which were illegally obtained, classified documents, it absolutely served the public interest for the New York Times to publish those. I don't and know if you I can make would, the same argument about Amy Pascal's emails about the negotiations over uh, the interview. I have one. Okay, I'd like to hear it. Because I disagree. So, we have we have intentionally stayed away from the content. We've you haven't, talked you about haven't heard it. Let you haven't hear heard it. it yet. Let me hear it. So you can't just, okay. No, I didn't say so, I disagree with it. But I but I have said up to now, uh, oh. and, and my problem is that Bloomberg and all these people have a vested interest in publishing this stuff. It's great for business. It's also good for something else. Okay, good. I want to hear the public wheel. Um, okay, so th- the next step from the Pentagon Papers is, of course, the Snowden leaks. And absolutely. And I, again, absolutely feel, as I said, the day we first reported this, that while I could never do it because oaths are oaths, I thought this was a good thing. And, you know, a year later, I remember saying when we were sort of testing that again, can we imagine having, you know, standing here today, not knowing what we know? That is, hasn't that been valuable? And, of course, the NSA and law enforcement would adamantly disagree that this was in the public interest. And, of course, that's the point. The direct upshot of what Snowden did, of, this, of those leaks, has been a year that we've chronicled here on the podcast of radical change in the industry's security posture. We've suddenly seen Google go crazy, if not overboard, in in pushing security. We've got, you know, Apple advertising as a marketing feature, the fact that they can no longer decrypt people's phones, where in the past they were able to respond to, to the letters requ- re- requiring them to do so. Google has announced that Android will be following. We've got... Um, uh, third-party communication apps coming out constantly. And whereas previously our acronym on the podcast, TNO, Trust No One, was something that you know we and our listeners understood and cared about, suddenly now everyone cares about it. So that it really, that there has been a massive benefit of, of of public security made th- that is a direct consequence of what Snowden showed us was going on. So, Sony. Um, Sony's also certainly not happy that these details are being published. And, you know, I have no interest in the underwear of executives. I mean, I don't care about that. But I'm not sure that the message would have gotten through to the degree it has were it not for these details. That is, last week, I, I took the time to enumerate much more clearly the kind of content. I mean, the, the, the least disclosure is to say, oh, 12 plus terabytes. Okay, that doesn't mean anything to anybody. 
So I I understood that it was important to say yes, but that's that's you know salary ledgers and financial reports and income projections and blah 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 blah. And so that that I thought helped to to by further enumerating and making more clear the nature of what this loss meant helped to helped it to hit home and while you know i have no interest and i haven't looked at or gone seeking any of the details of the email it's been all the buzz in in the press and and we've you know and it, it's evoked apologies and 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 all kinds of additional pain and while i wouldn't wish that pain on anyone the sad thing is i think it's the it's human nature that that that's what it takes for for people who don't who who really need to be pushed to increase the level of their security to do so that is there are certainly executives now and actually i have i've received email from people saying you know i mean like prominent people how how do we get ourselves secure because the nature of this the the details are unfortunately necessary in order to get people to understand what it really means and so I would argue that that's in the public interest. It's in the public interest, I mean, in in corporate interest. If it finally penetrates the thick skulls of the CEO and the COO, that they're going to have to spend the money that the CIO has been begging for in order to implement better security. Because security is hard. It's painful. It's difficult. Um, And... And increasing it is a good thing. So that's my argument. I totally disagree. So it would okay. be like saying, hey, you just got robbed of $100,000 by leaving your door unlocked. So, But we're going to keep the money so that you learn the lesson that you ought to lock the door. This is stolen material. There's no excuse for telling people what somebody made uh, to make a movie. The list you gave, I have no problem with the list you gave or I would have stopped you. The list you right. gave is completely appropriate and fine. Right. I don't think that the contents of those emails should be disclosed. Uh, I don't. I think they're stolen goods. I think it's as bad as showing the naked pictures. Uh, the press would have shown the naked pictures if they thought they could have gotten away with it. The only reason they didn't is because they were naked pictures. This is just as good as far as they're concerned. It's going to generate just as many clicks. And I think every argument I hear for releasing the salacious details of the Sony leak is an argument from somebody who says, I'm going to make money on this because we're going to get lots of clicks. I think there's, I don't see how that improves. Look, Sony knows what got stolen. I don't think this improves their attitude. And what you listed, I like what you listed. I think there's nothing wrong with saying, here's what they got right? without revealing the details. And I don't think that's what we're talking about. I think what Sony's saying is stop publishing our private emails. Those are private. I don't think they should be published by journalistic entities who, who are equating it with Snowden's revelations. These are not Snowden's revelations. Anyway, do you 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 stand firm? Well, yeah. I, I mean, I see your point. It, it's not Sony we're trying to teach a lesson to, though. That that horse has left the barn. It's it's the other companies whose behavior could improve, but only if they understand. I don't think what's, it's. 
I don't think it's it's uh, the Verge's job to make these other companies improve their security. <laughs> I don't think it I, improves the public. But there's no public benefit from us knowing how much you know James Franco got for uh, being in the interview. I just I don't get it. I don't get the value. I agree. Believe me, I'm a firm defender of the Fourth Estate and the right of the press and the people's right to know if it affects the people. <laughs> you can't make that argument that, the, right. that any of this salacious stuff affects the people. This is they're publishing it because we love reading it. I confess, I you know, I, I until I really kind of thought about this, I was reading all those articles and I, I even reported one tidbit, which is that. What James Franco got paid for driving himself to work because that's wow, what a story. But as I started to see more and more, I started to really feel for these people. And I, these people are not the people who were responsible for the poor lack of security. Correct. Why should I mean, I don't understand why Seth Rogen and James Franco should have to suffer because some CIO didn't do his job. And I don't see how it benefits any of us for them to have that information revealed. Right. Well, and Brian Krebs reported, uh, he said, uh, over the weekend, I received a nice holiday letter from lawyers representing Sony Pictures Entertainment, demanding that I seize publishing detailed stories about the company's recent hacking and delete any company data collected in the process of reporting on the breach. While I've not been the most prolific writer about this incident to date, Rest assured, such threats will not detour this reporter from covering important news and facts related to the breach. Nor should they. Right. I'm with him on that. Right. And so the letter that he received said SPE, and this, of course, is from our friend David Boises, who is the attorney who stepped Boys, into yeah, this. Yeah, yeah boys. Uh, it said SPE, does, Sony Pictures Entertainment, does not consent to your possession, review, copying, dissemination, publication, uploading, downloading, or making any use of the stolen information, and to request your cooperation in destroying the stolen information, said SPE lawyers. And that's what uh, what Brian wrote. So um, I wouldn't want so, my private so, emails to be revealed to benefit who, I don't know, to make people be more secure. I'm sure you wouldn't either. I've had my private no, emails. No, no, it's again, it's like not. It. No, um, there's, there's no question that that the degree to which this is bad for Sony affects other companies' security. That's right. my belief. And, and but the, uh, I also agree with with you and Brian that the, uh, a free press does not get deterred by this kind of thing. But I would guess that Brian is not. I mean, who his audience doesn't care no. about the details no. of what he's we like. Our audience, it's, it's like ours, where we were talking about, you know, the the you know a, a, the security a implications, broad, yeah, the security implications, and a broad stroke appreciation for, right. you know, what this meant from a security standpoint. Right. Uh, I would also say, hey, uh, <laughs> be careful what you uh, defend, in case it comes back to haunt you. Uh, I wonder how uh, the editors at some of these publications would feel if the same thing happened to them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, my point is nobody would think this is good, but but security is hard and it, it needs it needs respect. It needs attention. It needs money. Right. 
Oh, I agree with you on that. But I, gosh, if you just say all the stuff that they got, isn't that sufficient? You have to be. You have to embarrass people for them for others to take security seriously. That's sad. Yeah, it is sad. But maybe that's the state we're in. Um. So, uh, <laughs> Verizon last Thursday introduced to some uh, fanfare voice cipher, uh, along Boy. with the encryption the encryption company who created it called Cellcrypt, uh, and they said this offers. Business and government customers end-to-end encryption for voice calls on iOS, Android, or BlackBerry devices equipped with their special app. The encryption software provides secure communications for people speaking on devices with the app. Now, this is not me speaking. This is this is them because I've, otherwise I'd be putting air quotes around all this. Uh, regardless of their wireless carrier... And it can also connect to an organization's secure phone system. Um, and then they said CellCrypt and Verizon both say that law enforcement agencies will be able to access communications that take place over voice cipher so long as they're able to prove that there's a legitimate law enforcement reason for doing so. And the vice president, the North American vice president of CellCrypt, a guy named Seth Polanski, disputed the idea that building technology to allow wiretrap, wiretapping is a security risk. He said it's only creating a weakness when it's a legitimate government agency request. Just because a government access option exists doesn't mean other companies can access it. And and then, you know, as if that wasn't all just crazy enough, I love their slogan. They double down with the, with the slogan, security, when it matters most, which, of course, is exactly what it isn't, because when it matters most, the government is able to wiretap it. Um, so anyway, I just got a kick out of this that there, I think it's also not cheap. It's the, the app is free to download, but in the announcement, I remember seeing like $45 a month you pay for the privilege of this, this Verizon backed, um, you know, point to point voice encryption. We already have free solutions that do this, that we've talked about on the podcast. So it's like, well, I, I'm sure there will be users of it, um, and uh, okay. Um, I did forget to to mention last week, and I intended to, that there was just in miscellaneous uh, uh, sci-fi notes that there was a a three night miniseries that would be airing on the Sci-Fi Channel. Uh, the first chapter was last night. I did tweet it uh, yesterday beforehand, and, and I know that a bunch of my followers had intended to to DVR it and then did. So I was glad I, remind, I remembered at least then. I'm sure that Sci-Fi will be re-airing it. If they're not re-airing last night, tonight, um, I'm, you know, they tend to re-air this a lot. So it's, it's yesterday, the 15th, today, the 16th, and tomorrow, the 17th, called Ascension. Um, and I watched the first hour of it, 
uh, before it got to be my bedtime. And I decided, okay, well, I maybe <laughs> will finish uh, the rest of last night's and then see. I got a lot of feedback from people who thought it was great. Um, eh, it's it's okay. You know, we're sort of in a sci-fi uh, desert at the moment, so or drought. So um, it's eh, it's sort of typical of what, what you get from them. Um, and, and Leo, do you know what this site, GOG.com, is? G-O-G? Um, GOG.com. A listener, Isaac Johns in Louisiana, noted, uh, sent us a note about Abe. Uh, He said, Abe's Oddworld has been out. Oh, good old games. I do know about good old games. Yeah, love good good old games. Yeah. So they're legitimate? Oh, yeah. These are all licensed. These are licensed. Oh, good, good, good. Because the Oddworld series for the PC is like $5 or $6. So if you search for Oddworld, awesome. you'll find three of them, Abe's Odyssey, Abe's Exodus, and Stranger's Wrath, for downloadable for the PC. Um, so I did want, because we've been talking about it the last couple of weeks, due to its sort of its you know rebirth on the PS4 and on the iPad, um, I'm glad to know these guys are legit. And if anyone is interested... I really, again, you know, for six bucks, if you've got a PC, it's, it's certainly, I remember you running it on a PC 20 years ago. So you don't need some fancy state-of-the-art game. <laughs> ga- yeah, you don't yeah. need a fancy gaming box. Uh, anything will run this. Actually, and no, it's uh, it Windows just, XP or better, it says. Yeah, it so XP. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That is great. So I just, I'm happy to hear. I that. wanted to give our, yeah. our listeners a heads up yeah. that that was there. And yeah. boy, just looking at those screenshots, Leo, just got to like, it's, I feel nostalgic. It brings it's back just, the memories. What a great so game. So well done. Was. Yeah. So well done. And you know, the whole plan, as we mentioned, was to have a whole odd world, you know, universe that would go on. Yeah. And on. Uh, a, a quintology was what was originally um, uh, targeted. What they ended up doing, they did. The A was the first character, then Munch was right. the second. Right. Um, and so they had they introduced Munch, who was like a weird little guy who kind of waddled around. Um and and then they did us they, they they sort of went off plan and did a second like a sequel to Abe, which was because the first one was they, so they're right, there's Munch's Odyssey, and that was the second one. Then they did Abe's Exodus to follow Abe's Odyssey. Um so to, to create are, the first three, they've they've kind of kept going in ways that I didn't really realize. There's a few more of them here. Yeah, so Munch's Odyssey HD came out for the PS3 a couple of years ago. New and tasty, and that's the very that's new the one, one which is now. Yeah. Yep, and and that's on the PS4, and it'll be coming out for with oh, other platforms. But basically, it's a remake of the original Abe's Odyssey, which you can get for six bucks for the PC, and I, especially if you've got kids. I can't think of anything. I mean, it, it is like you know PG rated. I mean, there's yeah. okay. There's a there's, there's a grinder, it's, but it, but it's it, perfect it's, because it's a little bit yeah gory. <laughs> it's a little edgy, it's right? Little so edgy. your kids aren't going to think you're a wimp. They're going to think, okay, dad's cool. He knew about yeah. this. Yeah, I play. Like I said, I played this with Henry when he was probably nine or ten, and uh, yeah. he and I both have very fond uh, memories of playing this game. This is the, yeah, this so is the, most, the last one, Stranger's, Stranger's Wrath. Yeah, yeah, it'll it'll run on the machine you've got in the garage. So uh, <laughs> yeah, now I have to get a Windows machine. I wonder if those HP streams would be worth buying a two hundred dollar 
HP stream just to play this game. <laughs> Maybe. It would. Maybe. It would. <laughs> yeah. And while I was going through the mailbag for today's Q&A, I ran across a nice note. I don't seem to have the guy's name here. Normally I... Uh, Oh my! I think it actually was. He just he he sent it to me anonymously, uh, but it, it, so it was Friday, December twelfth. The subject was Spinrite saved a server raid array, and what I what, this caught my attention because he came very close to the point of no return, but also is clearly operating some major facility. He said, "Steve, every weekday morning, I do a visual. So every weekday morning, well, probably when he you know goes in." I do a visual inspection of our servers for any issues. He says in print, scanning the server status screens and hard drive LEDs. I'm also responsible for backups. One morning, I was checking the previous evening's backups on one of our NAS servers. You know, network attached storage. I noticed a major read-write error in the backup log, causing the backup job to fail completely. Checking if the backup volume was mounted correctly, I immediately noticed that the volume had disappeared. I then began scouring the system logs, and sure enough, we had a drive failure in our RAID 5 array. Come to find out, we had another drive failure at a prior time, which makes Two drive failures at this point, causing the entire array to be lost. Because remember that a RAID 5 has, it can tolerate one drive failure because essentially it sort of runs like a checksum drive. And so any, any of the remaining can reconstruct the entire RAID content, but you only get one. That's why I'm running RAID 6. Um, he said, these two failures slipped by me since the visual inspection on this one custom-built server fails to indicate a problem for any of the drives. It only shows a green LED for power. And that's a little scary because, uh, you know, typical uh, drive uh, backplanes now will show you like a, 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 like a red er or sometimes yellow error light if the drive is having problem separate from drive activity or in this case drive power. So he just, you know, his, his visual scan wasn't showing that one drive had died some time ago and now finally the second one, a second one followed it. He said figuring out the problem took only minutes and looking at what the logs were telling me, my mind immediately went to a previous episode of Security Now. In that episode, you were discussing how a Spinrite customer was able to save his or her RAID array by removing the drive and booting it as a standalone drive connected via a separate interface. I thought, I can do this. So he says, I removed the first failed drive connected to a laptop via a SATA to USB interface and booted Spinrite. I immediately heard some truly awful sounds coming from the drive. Well, that sounds bad, and sure enough, I could not get Spinrite or the laptop to recognize that drive at all. Trying the second bad drive, it booted, and Spinrite saw it. Running level two, I noticed that at times, the drive would seem to have a hard time reading a sector. After a few seconds, it would work through it, 
and go on to the next sector, which, of course, is exactly the behavior that Spinrite uh, users through the last couple decades have seen. And that's what Spinrite does, is it sits there and fixes that sector, and then we get to move on. He says, I ran Spinrite until 50% completion and decided to give it a try back in the server. Sure enough, the drive came back up, and the RAID controller gave me the OK, and the RAID volume is back up but in degraded mode since the complete loss of the other drive. I was able to get all of this done within one workday and had backups running again that evening with no data loss. I've got two new drives on the way and will be replacing them and rebuilding the array as time permits. Thank you for a great product. And whoever you are, thank you for the great (laughs) testimonial. I really appreciate it. Steve, we're going to take a break. When we come back, questions for you from our... uh... Cool. Vast viewing audience. Our show today, though, brought to you by our good friends, Tim and Don, at IT Pro TV. They're the folks who, uh, for years, were teaching people how to, you know, polish their IT skills, how to get the certs they needed to get jobs in IT. They uh, they kind of decided to do something a little bit like Twit. In fact, it says right here, IT Pro TV was built by fans of Twit for fans of Twit. Uh, they were inspired by the idea that they could actually do video, teach this stuff in a way that people enjoyed, that was easy to absorb, um, and now they've got it. IT Pro, even on your Roku, which is awesome, you can watch ITPro.tv. If you go to ITPro.tv slash security now, you'll see all the different courses they have. Let's see. I think they're live right now. Now let's, let's check in. They do about 30 hours of new programming each and every week. If, yeah, there they are. There's Don teaching something about Google, it looks like. If you look at the course library, you'll see how vast it has become. They're doing now Mac Integration Basics, basics Mac Management Basics, CompTIA. That includes the A+, Net+, Security+, Linux+, and Cloud+, certs, Microsoft with the MCSA, you've got and MCSE. You've got Cisco. You've got ISC Squared. In fact, they've got some great classes in security, the new ISC squared cert is really cool. One low monthly subscription uh, 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 price gets you everything. So you don't have to decide. Look at all the office stuff, project management, VMware, Zen server, Wireshark. They've got a course on how to use Wireshark. I love that. Subscriptions normally $57 a month, but now, or $570 for the entire year, but now you can uh, sign up and get um, 30% off for the lifetime of your subscription when you use the offer code SN30. So I want you to go to itpro.tv slash security now. What else do you get? Oh, my gosh. You get the, the, the measure up practice exams. They're included with your subscription. Uh, that's, that's, that, that gives, that's worth $79. Bucks. Uh, you also can get uh, their incredible virtual machine sandbox lab which is fantastic. So you don't even have to have Windows Server or Windows Clients. You, any HTML5 browser, you go into the lab and you, you're there, you're working, and if you screw it up, who cares? You just, you just close out the instance and start over. Even if you're already studying with a book or enrolled in a cert or technical degree program, this is a great supplement. You can learn at your own pace. You'll enjoy it. Put it up on the Roku. It'll just soak in. IT, you're soaking in it. Track your progress, manage your learning. And with a year subscription, an annual subscription, you can even download all the episodes DRM-free 
and put them on your tablet for offline consumption. Check out itpro.tv slash security now. Upgrade your brain with the most popular IT certs recognized by employers. And now you can get a free seven-day trial when you sign up using our offer code, which means you've got a week to check out the courses, the live stream, and more. See, they even have a chat room going on during the courses, just like us. itpro.tv slash security now. Well, here's a nice benefit. They're celebrating their anniversary. And uh, so for all of you who subscribed early on, when you reach your 13th month, they're going to reduce your subscription rate even further. Now it's $24.95 a month or $249 for the whole year. That's nice, just to celebrate. itpro.tv slash security. Now the offer code SN30. Try it free for seven days and get 30% off the lifetime of your account. Happy anniversary. Congratulations to Don and Tim and the gang on their success at itpro.tv slash security now. Stephen Tiberius Gibson. He is at SGGRC <laughs> on the Twitter. That's one way you can ask questions. You also can go to his website, um, grc.com slash feedback. Ask questions there. And you have cobbled together some questions from our audience. You ready? You bet. I was going to say that I we've really developed a nice little community over oh, on Twitter. Yeah. I, I it's oh, it's yeah. really it's 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 vibrant and you know I I get great tips and leads from from people who want to make sure that I I've seen stuff and uh, I'm able to answer short questions uh, and uh, I always like you know I get up in the morning and I scroll back and catch up with what has gone on uh, while I've been uh, unconscious and. Uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, it, nice? it's really been a good thing. And yeah. they're global. They're all over the world like this. The first question comes from Dorset in the United Kingdom. Andrew Stevenson wonders about the Poodle TLS attack. Steve, Leo, Ivan Ristic over... He doesn't talk like that. <laughs> Ivan Ristic over... <laughs> I'm doing the Dick Van Dyke from Mary Poppins. Ivan Ristic over at SSL Labs has implemented a test for Poodle. Oh, of course Ivan has. Against yep. TLS. My question, does this attack deserve an F rating? Do you think this attack is more damaging than Poodle against SSL3? Also, have you seen that SSL Labs now demotes sites to a grade B if they support RC4 ciphers? To reacquire your previous... I guess I'm wondering, I'm thinking he, Michael might just happen to have a... Uh, or Andrew might happen to have a site with a, with a B rating. To recover your previous A-plus rating for GRC.com, you mean you don't have one, Steve? No. You'd, you'd have to remove RC4 ciphers, disable SSL3, upgrade to SHA2 certs, install TLS fallback SCSV, downgrade attack prevention, etc., etc., etc. What do you say? So, okay. Uh, so, GRC uh, used to be A plus rated oh, at SSL man. Lab. And we're back to a C. Rating C? You know, a C. Um, uh, as a consequence of a number of things, I'm still opting for compatibility. And the problem is the GRC is HTTPS, meaning if you even try to connect to me HTTP, the first thing the server does is bounce your browser over to S. There's no way to access, to get in the front door without security. And of course, I, then I also have an H. STS, the uh, the uh, uh, simple transport security uh, header that 
uh, with a long life, which Ivan gives me good credit for. Uh, he likes the fact that I'm doing that. So I'm telling all browsers, remember that we're only secure. The problem is there are still, there's still a big install base of, of users who I don't want to deny access unless they have the latest and greatest. There, I mean, you know, we know that they're out there. Uh, they're unable to use um, SHA-256 because they don't have Service Pack 3 of XP. They've got uh, something um, older than that. So, so I'm going to tolerate for, eh, I don't know how long, maybe six months into 2015, a substandard grade from SSL Labs on purpose. Um, there's nothing wrong with GRC's security. Um, that I do have prevention against uh, like insecurity for uh, e-commerce because I don't even use uh, or require uh, security for the, the, you know, like cookies, for example, for handling our sessions. So there's nothing for Poodle to get uh, that that GRC is doing. Um that said, I, we're, we're, we're sort of there, – there's tension that we've talked about before. And that's my favorite word to describe this because certainly Ivan's whole point of having SSL Labs grading uh, websites is to find problems with them. That's, that's his deal. Um, mine is to offer a service to as many people as I can. And meanwhile, against the, that against the backdrop of us moving forward with standards. So I do think it's time that I drop RC4. And at that point, I think I get to pop up to a B rating. So I won't, I won't have the A plus that I had a few months ago before we knew that there were these additional, at the time, unseen problems in the protocol, I'm doing everything the same, but now we've decided, okay, this is a problem. Um, and so I, I am going to drop RC4 and I'll disable SSL, um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang back with uh, uh, SHA1 certificates because there's nothing that anyone knows is wrong with those. Um, and we will see uh, how Chrome moves forward with their push for SHA-256, which I support, and I'll switch over to those, um, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang back. The idea will be that as other sites switch, that will create pain for the people who still, don't, still can't do SHA-256. They will be forced to use Chrome or to use Firefox. They will no longer be able to use IE. I want them to still be able to get to grc.com. So I'm going to lag on that, and then I will make a switch. And, of course, if we, if we do find that, like, something is surprisingly wrong with SHA1, which nobody at this point expects, then I can, you know, easily switch over to 256. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to tolerate. I'll bring my grade up to a B, I think, by, <laughs> by, by agreeing that RC4, it's time to say goodbye to that, and SSL3, it's now time not to allow uh, a, a downgrade to SSL3. It would be nice if Microsoft adds this TLS fallback uh, 
to their offerings. We'll see if they do that because if they could, if they would, if they would add that to server platforms that they're still supporting, and they're still supporting my uh, Windows Server 2008 R2. If we could get that feature in an update, then that would be a good thing too. That would help everybody. But I, I can get rid of SSL three without a problem. I think there's a little bit of. I'm a yes, little dubious about Ivan being the arbiter of what is good and wholesome on the net. And I was well, a little okay, uncomfortable I, with recommending SSL labs tests for that reason. It's just one guy's opinion. Well, and it's, I mean, we, I guess the, 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 the problem is that it's you, it's, it's hard not to give a grade. I mean, that, that, that's such a powerful psychological thing to get like, and I loved having an A plus while I was A plus. I only had that for a few months and then I, you know, fell back off of the, the leading edge of the cipher curve. Um, it, it would be a little nicer. I mean, he does break it all down. So somebody who cares can look at the things that I'm doing and see, oh, look, Steve's supporting perfect forward secrecy, like with all of the ciphers anyone is using. And way down at the bottom, there's a couple RC4s to, because he doesn't want to lock somebody out to who wants to get to his site for the purpose of using the services at GRC. If I were to do that, nobody could ever use GRC. And that that bites a little bit. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna lag on that. Sometimes the perfect is the enemy of the good. This would be a good example of that. Phil in uh, central Phil S in central New York coins the term the Gibson comma. <laughs> And there's a Twitter account called the Oxford Comma that tweeted me, Leo, do you support or do you not the Oxford Comma? Hi, Steve. Avid listen. I haven't responded yet. Avid listener uh, from Central New York here. During the past few months, my team and I have been patching our web servers monthly, monthly, yeah. thanks to Poodle and the Microsoft patches and so on. We value and use your Cypher Suites list for our hardening procedures. Oh, that's great. That's on GSR, grc.com. Uh, you can go to bit.ly slash GRC ciphers with an I. But I discovered a missing comma. Oh, dear. Oh, Lord. On line 24, which we <laughs> dubbed the Gibson comma. Oh, a quick fix on your end. But while you're in there, can you review and update the suites as SSL Labs is capping grades to be when it sees RC4? Many thanks, all, 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 Phil. Did you fix the comma? Did you fix? No. No. No, because I wanted you to click on the link first. Um, so... <laughs> When I when I first saw this, <laughs> oh, it's a joke. I get it. <laughs> no, 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 it's real. When when I first saw this, I thought it said the Gibson coma, and I thought, what? That doesn't sound good. I don't want to be inducing a coma in anybody. Anyway, so you can see like the fourth from the end, and it happens to be, I think, one of the RC four lines. So what this is? Yep. There. Oh, it's at, at the end, end of the MD five. It's missing its comma there. So that's the Gibson lack of comma. Um, so what that is, is... You got a the, new line. I don't think you need a comma and a new line, okay? I'm just saying. Yeah. So <laughs> so this is for Windows servers. Uh, I went through and looked at all the available cipher suites wow. and carefully hand-tuned the list in order of... The one we would prefer that a client connected with first. So it's very carefully designed 
for the for maximum forward secrecy and maximum security as we go down the list from so it goes from strongest to weakest that are currently offered by Windows server platforms. I would presume and, the server would query in that order, right? It would try to connect with the first one and then the second and then the third. Well, what happens is, yeah, what happens is the the client and remember in in the in the TLS handshake, the client offers all the ones it has. And so the server then uses the sequence that I have yeah. have have created uh, going down its list, right. looking for the first match with any of the ones in the client. Right. There, thus, we get the strongest, strongest negotiated security available. Um, and so, I have been needing to go back in because with with that uh, update a couple months ago, I think it was two months ago. I want to say it was zero six eight was the Microsoft update. They that was the one that silently fixed a problem that had not previously been disclosed and treated us to four new cipher suites which were really new and tasty uh to borrow odd words uh title um and so i've been wanting to merge those in and all and that would of course push now i'll push some of the rc4 rc4 ciphers off the bottom and then pop my grade up at ssl labs from a embarrassing c to a well, somewhat less embarrassing. B. At least I'm, you know, I could maybe beg my way into a good school. Well, yeah, gentleman C is not going to work here. I think you need to, nah, you need to step so. up your game. So, for anyone who's interested, as and, you said, it's bit.ly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, b. Oh, yes. Thank you for yeah. Uh, bit.ly/grcciphers is the is the list but that's the old one if you look at it and you see that there's a comma missing from the last the fourth to the last line and there's still some rc4s then you know you don't have the new one i'll be getting to that here <laughs> that's why you left the comma out now we know so people can yeah, tell a, it was a, it's, it's a it's a, a it's a canary <laughs> canary yeah. it's really weird too because um microsoft has a a character limit on the length that string can be, so I I I put in um, new lines so that you know to make it v you know visually clear. But to use it, you have to remove the new lines and then cut and paste it into the registry. And I think it's twenty forty eight. But there's a this and the problem is there are more useful ciphers that you'd like to have that are available, except you run out of room. Because they're they're too long, and so it's just, uh, so you really there, it really is sort of balancing act. You got to like you've only got twenty forty eight characters, I think that's what it was, and I, so you've got to go through and go okay, well we, we don't have room for this one, but we do have room for that one, and, I, and so you have to like deliberately withhold some you'd like to have in the interest of again of compatibility. That's why you know I spend some time building this list, and and people are are using it with their servers. So there. So there. That's it's very cool. How how did you build the list? Was there could you pull it from the code or? Um, there there's a um in in the um, uh in the registry help it gives you a list of uh. all of them and so I copied that out but it also says but warning yeah you, you, the string you provide can only be two thousand and forty seven characters long and it's like. 
okay, is that going to be a problem? And so then I look, and the list is like 3K long. So I was like, uh, yes, that's going to be a problem. I got I can't have them all. I love it. They got to fix that. That's ridiculous. Oh, I don't God. know. Come on. Uh, Ron in Daytona Beach, Florida. He's got a question about uh, VPN usage and spying. I use a VPN most of the time using ProXPN, our fine sponsor. Thank you, Ron. Question. When I connect, I have many choices of terminating VPN locations. Yeah, that's one of their features. The U.S. one gave me the best performance. Well, it makes sense. It's geographically approximate. However, I feel that when I connect to one of the U.S. ones, my traffic is still subject to spying. Oh, no. I'm guessing my ISP can't track me directly anymore. But the uh, National Spy Agency is still collecting my packets. Is this true or am I just being overly paranoid? So... Um, we see this question in various forms, and I know you get it a lot, Leo. Yeah. I, I've heard li- yeah. I've heard listeners on your on your Sunday or your sa- or your weekend show, the Tech Guy show, asking. Um, the question would be: Do you think the NSA is specifically capturing traffic from the ProXPN servers? more than they're capturing traffic coming in to the U.S. through the fiber optic undersea cables. And maybe it's all of the above, um, but I, I guarantee you that there are taps on all of the, all of the oceanic cables coming into the country because that's where terrorists are, presumably. And their, you know, their articulated responsibility is to protect us from them. So we know they're tapping traffic coming into the country. Um, we also know that they're, you know, sniffing what they can get that's available within the country, unfortunately. You know, there's that 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 room that we know about in in L.A. or was it San Francisco? You know where the the fiber optic tap was installed that we, uh, yeah, we originally talked about a year and a half AT&T ago. AT and T WorldNet in San That's Francisco. It. Yeah. So, um, uh, I don't really think there that there's a difference. What what the VPN certainly does is it it protects your ISP from collecting any metadata. Um, metadata, of course, is even if they can't decrypt what you're doing because you're over SSL or TLS. Boy, I wish they hadn't changed the name. That just <laughs> really annoys me. Um, I guess I just have to for to TLS. Everybody knows what that is now. Um, uh, they can't see what's in there, but they can see the IPs that you're visiting. Um, and they can see the DNS queries that you're making. Um, so running through the r- running through the VPN does prevent that. It prevents a- any any visibility into your traffic until it gets to that server. But as for NSA difference, I don't, don't I don't really don't can't say that I would imagine it makes a difference. Um, we will soon, eventually, when the world lets us, get to our podcast about the Tor de-anonymizing, which is on my very short list of things to talk about. Um, because, uh, as I have mentioned, it looks like it's not quite providing the protection that we were hoping uh, under some circumstances. But uh, short of that, 
Uh, I think that the VPN offers local protection, but probably doesn't matter too much whether the NSA is, uh, you know, uh, checking or not. I think there is likely to be looking at traffic coming into the U.S. if you connect to an uh, to an extraterritorial uh, VPN server. Strikes me that if people took the energy that they spent trying to protect themselves, possibly futilely, futilely against uh, snooping by the uh, uh, spy services and instead directed that energy towards our members of Congress saying, fix this, that'd be more, uh, that'd be a more useful uh, use of your, of your juice. Or both. Let's do both. You could do both. But yeah. what people spend so much energy on, well, is this safe? Are they going to be able to spy on me here? Uh, just send a couple of uh, messages to your member of Congress, too, as long as you're doing that. Because yeah, that's really the only the only way, and maybe even that's not going to be good enough. But that 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 is the only route to getting this. Leo, I, I think I think we're heading for legislation which mandates a backdoor. Yeah, we do look. It does look like that. You got your it Ron Wyden's on the one hand. Yeah, and, uh, you got your backdoor guys on the other. Yeah, and I mean, I just the the the, the you know the the boogeyman. Of protecting us from the bad guys is such, you know, the the whole terrorism argument and the argument, you know, I mean, we had we talked last week about Posner saying, I can't believe it's legal for anyone to sell a phone that can't be decrypted. It's like, oh, goodness. I mean, I just think we're losing this. And, you know, I predicted a few years ago, which is why I suspended work on CryptoLink, because I thought, well, I don't. I don't want the government to come along and say, Gibson, you've got to build a back door into the VPN. Right, you right. just spent all your time making absolutely secure. It's like, uh, no. Anthony Headley, who must also be from the UK, because that's a very British name, wondered, whatever happened to the smush box? Hey, Steve, whatever happened to Mark Thompson and company's smush box? In the last episode, Leo remarked the guys from IT Pro were sending SMS notifications, and I was reminded of smush box. Yeah, we ordered one. I have one. I know yeah. you do too, Steve. From their side, I see they had a rocky start doing so due to some faulty uh, micro SDs. Uh, they offered to fix the issue. That seems to have solved the issue. Where where where, where does that stand uh, right now, Steve? I'm just wondering if either of you have received your boxes. Yes. Do yep. they work? Can't tell you because I haven't set it up. <laughs> Thanks. Love, well, blah, 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 Anthony. So uh, uh, we've talked about it since, and I, I, I need to distance Mark Thompson from this. Uh, it wasn't his company. It was some guys that he knew of, and I knew of them because I know of him. And he thought it was a cool thing. I mean, he, he thought it was a, a neat idea. And, you know, you and I agreed, Leo, and we both got them. The problem was, or, or part of the deal was, they had a special deal with T-Mobile so that for $20 a month, you could um, have unlimited number of messages that yeah, this mush that box cool. would send. That was what that was about. And that ran out. And, <laughs> and yes, and that's what happened was it turns out that one hand didn't know what the other was doing. They got into some fights with T-Mobile. Um, and so they, they did send an email out to all the smush box owners apologizing for the fact that they were unable ultimately to honor the original contract. But this will still so, work. I just have to pay more. Is precisely. Right? Oh, okay. So 
Yes, so it is a beautiful, nice USB interface to text machine that can send out mass texts, but it's up to the individual to create a, an account with T-Mobile rather uh-huh. than all running it through a, a grandfathered, you know, blanket $20 a month forever deal. So that, somewhere I could put a SIM in fell here. Apart. I uh, it's got one built in. It's okay. already in there. So I would yep. just call so T-Mobile and say, hey, activate me, baby. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And then, then you're able to send and receive texts with that. And so one of these days you and I are going to figure out how that's useful. That's well, I always, I, you know, and we even were, as we know, we're devout, de- designing a new uh, Twit site. And I, it's it's kind of one of the things on our wish list to be able to send out text notifications when a live show begins recording, when a show oh, has yes. finished recording and is in now in editing and or when a show ships. Special, sh- yeah, exactly. L- like allow people to subscribe to a feed of real-time right. events. Yeah, very neat. Well, that we can do. And we can we can easily do something that they pull, that this is pushed. So I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's easy to do something that's pull that you you would pull us. In fact, that's kind of how RSS works anyway. You, the, you yeah, know, but I, 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 I think texting is just so ubiquitous yeah. and so simple that that you know, and and you know, people are able to like send back like like send back a stop if they don't want to receive that anymore, right. Right. or and and basically control it through text. I, I think it's cool. And look, you were even able to find yours. I don't know what mine. Mine's like mine. Mine's buried box. You know what's I don't bad? Know what mine, I can't but. find the documentation. Must be Might on, have been online. Maybe it's on the website. Yeah. There's, there's no documentation at all. <laughs> it is pretty, though. It wasn't oh, they did a beautiful job. Yeah. My smoosh box. Hey, let's take a break. When we come back more, we've got four more questions for Steve about all sorts of things. But first, a word from Steve's favorite razor company. <gasps> Harry's! I, I have to say, Leo, I get... Well, what's funny is that it it feels like we must have put out a challenge at some point, or if not, people took it up themselves. Because the tweets that I see are from people saying, I took the challenge. I, I tried every razor I have, yeah. and Harry's won. Yeah, well, I think that that's the interesting thing, is is it possible to have a better shaving experience? Are some blades better than other blades? And, yeah. uh, you know, all you can do is listen to me and Steve when we say yes. But you could take the Harry's Challenge. First of all, it's not that expensive. This is the Truman Kit for $15. Less than a pack of blades at your drugstore of those Gillette Fusion blades. What are those, about 4 bucks each now? That's for- the one I like with the plastic handle. Yeah, you like the plastic. This is the Truman. Yep. So yep. you get, for 15 bucks. you get uh, the handle. You get three blades. You get, uh, I, you know, we don't mention this very often, but this is so useful. The blade cover that's for, for traveling, the uh, little travel cover. Cause it, it, I didn't it, get one. Oh, yeah, you did. You just probably threw it out thinking, well, that's just packaging. It ain't. Oh. See, it goes in there and you goes right in your dop kit and the, you don't cut yourself and the blade nice. can and dry out and all that stuff. Um, they now have, this is actually not part of the kit, so I should take it out. But because So you get the three blades, the handle, the cover. Uh, and you get the foaming gel, or you can get the cream. I, I like the cream. I don't know which one you use. You use the foaming gel. I'm now? a gel. I'm like, yeah, I, I'm a gel person. All right. Yeah. The this, cream seemed a little thick for me. Yeah. But I really. But you got to be careful though. That gel really. <laughs> Whoops. I got a gel explosion. Holy cow! <laughs> it really, I learned a lesson. You got to just give it a. Get the hazmat be team really in here. Careful, it comes out. <laughs> and then yep. this, you can get this online. Um, 
So once you buy the kit, by the way, then you don't have to. But uh, you, you know, so if if it passes muster, you can subscribe and you get the shave gel and razor blades delivered every month or so. They also have, and you can order this, the aftershave lotion, which is which is quite nice and comes out in a little bit of a less uh, aggressive <laughs> fashion <laughs> and smells really good. Look at guys, this is for you a great shave. At a fair price, you may say, well, how is it possible that this blade is better than the blade I'm going to get at the drugstore for less than half as much? I'll tell you, Aries owns the factory. Uh, that makes a big difference. They found out that there are, there really is only, there are only two factories in the world that make great razor blades. They're both in Germany. So they went and they bought one. They have all the production of that factory, uh, and they make great blades. And I can tell you, you want to do the Harry's test, shave the left half of your face with your Winston kit, shave the right half with whatever you're using. Do me a favor. Don't get one of them disposable blades because that's not even fair. That's just not even right. You know, the you know the $2 handle plus blade things. That's just, don't do that to your face. But once you try Harry's, I know you're going to say, this is amazing. Everybody get, does. Yeah. And we have yet to have anybody say, eh, no, I'm going to continue to use my, I don't know, a straight razor. Actually, there's Not one once. guy in the chat room who likes a straight razor. That seems like a recipe for disaster. Speaking of disaster, what happened here? I had an <laughs> explosion of shave gel. Thank you, John. Every time I open this kit, something bad happens. I get. I, last time you caught me shaving. I couldn't resist. Oh, that was wonderful. I that opened it up wonderful. and I said, you know, it smells good. I could just, a hey, quick shave. <laughs> You ended before I was ready. <laughs> Aries, H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. You get $5 off your first order, but you got to use the offer code security now so they know where you heard it. And then you're going to get your Harry's delivery every month of blades. And I, you know, I just love it. I really love it. Harry's, and so does Steve, obviously. Harry's.com, H-A-R-R-Y-S. And you, and you won't be. Harry. You won't. Right. You'll be clean shaven. And have we have we decided it's Harry or Harry? We're just well, going with Harry now. Sue, the writer, said I should say Harry. Harry, as opposed to Harry, she said you're pronouncing it the same way you pronounce Harry. H a i r y. Yeah. yeah. Right. And yeah. I and I said, well, that's how it's pronounced. No, it's Harry. Harry. Anyway. Okay, I, I'm glad we're going with Harry. Harry. Yeah. We're Californians. That's how we. T that's just how we talk. <laughs> Question five from Michael Peters. He hails from Meerbusch, Germany. Meerbusch. He wonders about whitelisting executables. During the recent episode of Security Now, while you were talking about the Sony case, you mentioned whitelisting of executables is the only real way to keep the bad guys out. And indeed, I see this as the last chance left to get more security into a larger company network. For our company and our network, no user except the IT people should be able to launch any kind of program that hasn't been approved by the IT step. Boy, that seems obvious. Yeah. Unfortunately, we never took the time to give Windows App Locker a try, and I'm wondering whether such a scenario could be realistic or am I missing something? Love your show, although it frightens me more and more. Steve is really <laughs> great, Leo, too. Besides, it's helping me improve my English. Well, your English is perfect. Kind regards, Michael, from Germany. We have an AppLocker license. When we bought the uh, new Dell machines for our editors, six of them, uh, uh, Russell talked me into say he said we should get AppLocker too. I said, deal. So, um, but I don't think we've turned it on yet. But we haven't. The machines are just getting implemented now. So, um, what, what is so that? App AppLocker is a feature that was introduced into Windows Seven, and 
as we know, I will ultimately be moving <laughs> from XP to seven, kicking and screaming at some point. I, I mean, I have seven everywhere else, just not on my main system because it's such a pain. I mean, I have to just like start over. I have this incredibly mature, perfect, you know, workstation with everything installed. And just the idea of starting over is daunting and there's never time we, we all you know i gotta like say okay well after squirrel and after spin right six one then uh maybe i'll make the switch but the point is that it's built into windows 7 and it's it's continued to thrive and it's in windows 8 as well and it, it is a it is a built-in it's not there's like i think it's in in ultimate and, you know, they got all these different SKUs now. Uh, I don't think it's in Home or even Pro, but it is in Ultimate. Um, and I'm going to deploy it from day one because it's one a little weird to do it on a home system. I mean, in a business, you can say, hey, you can use, you know, Office and our line of business stuff, but you can't use any other apps. That's yeah, a reasonable thing for a business to do. But at home, don't you want to just do what you want to do? Well, but it's me, you know. And uh, what I was going to say was, you know, unlock the locker. Um, no, so App Locker is a, an application whitelister. Right. So only the, only the specific apps which have been whitelisted uh, are allowed to execute. Yeah, and uh, and a malware can't pose as one of those apps, right? Precisely. Is there an H, a hash or something? Or yes. Okay. Yes. So um, and and remember back in the day of Zone Alarm. There was a question of whether, and because Zone Alarm was a white listing firewall, you would, you know, it would pop up and say such and such wants to access the internet, and you'd say you'd look at it and go, okay, yeah, and and then the question was whether malware could say that it's Internet Explorer, you know, iExplore.exe, and sneak by. So, but it wasn't just a file name match; it was a match on the the signature of the app itself. So. Um, so it caught that. So that's what's built in to Windows 7 and 8. And I just, I want to try it. Um, one of the things that I do is I have some sounds associated with different events in Windows. And one of the events in Windows is application execution. And it's just a little snap sound. But every so often I'm like working and I hear snap which means I didn't just start something, but something started. And I'm, I sometimes wonder what that was because that would be a quick clue that something's in my system that I'm not aware of. So I, I, I'm going to do the experiment of, and this is the kind of thing is difficult to turn on later because like nothing will work. Although you are able to put it in an audit mode ah. and that could be useful all all on its own. Yeah, you say, Where hey, it, audit what I'm doing right now because I know there's nothing bad on here. Please add these things to my whitelist. Right. right. Yeah. Right. And so you train it at, at, during a time when you know that your system is fresh and set up. Um, and then and then you're able to look at a log of the things it has blocked or that it has permitted and, like, you know, tweak it over time. It's basically, it's like an application firewall. And I would argue... Maybe that's where we're going to end up. We ended up there with with data firewalls, and that may be the way that, that I know we ultimately lock our systems down. And it's built into Windows. 
love to get this for uh, Macintosh. So am I correct? Because I say this on the radio show all the time, and I probably should run these things by you before I say them. But I have been saying on the radio show, look, for to get malware, to get on your system, the bad guy has to have you run a program in some form or fashion. The malware may be a, a, a malformed PDF and you run reader and it's got a bug, but ultimately... The way you infect systems is by executing code, and if correct, the, if if the bad guy can't get you to execute code, and you you know then you you're safe. And so the idea being, we only can execute these set programs. You should be safe. Now, if one of those programs is Reader, and you get a malformed PDF and Reader's not up to date, well, you'll still get bit. Correct. Or if you're lured to a phishing site and they tell a naive user, oh, we'd love to show you this video that you're interested in, but you have an, an, a, a vulnerable or obsolete version of the video player. Click here right. to update it. Right. And so many people who are not podcast well, it's listeners. It's easy, easy to fall for that. Yes. But now AppLocker would stop you because the installer for this, Correct. this malware would be not allowed. Correct. Yeah. All right. OS X does something a little similar, but of course, as with Apple, as always with Apple, it's Apple that gets to decide. You can say, I'm not going to run unsigned code on this machine. And Apple is the signatory. So if it's not signed code, it won't run. Right. And of course, we we did that with Windows with device drivers, Microsoft Signed, said, yeah. we're, 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 we're going to up the ante on device drivers, so you've got to have the device drivers signed. Um, and that that's, is, is, is a useful bar to put on applications also. Say that we're not going to run applications that don't come from, you know, the, the, you know theirs is, um, I'm blanking on it. I have a license from Microsoft. All of my apps are signed. Um, Authenticode is there. Oh, is yes. there is their executable technology. And so it's like, don't allow anything that's not authentic code signed. The problem is it's not impossible for bad guys to get an authentic code cert. And in fact, one thing we did see that, that happened from the Sony hack yeah. is that uh, a mal malware was quickly signed with the Sony certificate, <laughs> which, was which was stolen from oh, Sony. Oh, lordy, lordy. Yep. So this uh, this says uh, allow apps. This is in the security settings on OS 10 uh, Yosemite or later. Allow apps downloaded from in the most strict form the App Store only. So Apple right. has approved Apple's whitelist in effect. Uh, right. The most people and the default is Mac App Store or identified developers. That really means one with a certificate that is an Apple Apple uh, generated certificate. And then you, this is the least secure, and by the way, not the default. The default setting is uh -huh. allow apps downloaded from anywhere. So current Mac machines, really, you can only run apps, uh, unless you've changed the settings, from the App Store approved by Apple or w where a developer has a certificate from Apple. I think that's pretty well, good. That's gatekeeper. Well, yes. So, yeah. So what I would do, and, like, and I know our listeners, you want to go to that middle option. Switch it now. Well, that's that the is, default. take it off. Yeah. Oh, it, oh, that's oh, the default. It, it, yes. That is the default. That's the default. If you say anywhere, they give you this big warning. Oh, and, and good. furthermore, they good. say in 30 days, we're going to go back to the default. 
Uh, good. They, they are. Apple really has learned a lot of lessons in the last couple of years. We, you know, we've seen them really tightening things up that way, and that's that's fabulous. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like allowing Flash and then like disabling it again automatically. I, know, I love it. It's like yes, that's exactly <laughs> what we have want. Flash, but only for a few days. Yeah. So I was going to say, if you had that default setting and you did run an app that was not from a well-known developer that just gives you a chance again you know you're you're, you're going to get a dialogue exactly. that's going to scare you and exactly. then you can say oh uh you know do i how much do i trust where i you got actually this have from? to you have to kind of override it it'll say yes. i'm not going to open this because it's not from a certified developer and Good. then if you wish to open it you need to right click on this app and select open and uh, then we will open it for you. But you have you cannot just you know you don't click a button that says okay. You have to kind of do something else. Right, I think that's the right way to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, moving on, question six. Dave held Redondo Beach, California. He was floored. <laughs> I was floored by your uh well nothing can be done response to the Sony hack. If it's true, as you say. The computer system simply cannot be secured against attack. And that isn't exactly what we said, but... Well, no. don't you realize that implies the end of electronic methods in business and a massive return to paper documents and locked file cabinets? What movie star will discuss her future roles and earnings via email? What corporations will store their contract negotiation proposals on servers or even use anything more complex than a typewriter to prepare them? By the way... Uh, that's one of the upshots of this Sony hack is Sony is, in fact, stymied. They are having a lot of difficulty making deals. They are wow. no longer using email. They're only making phone calls. I mean, wow. that is how Sony's responded to this. Going back and I to think, the did, Stone Age. Didn't we hear that Russia had switched to typewriters yeah. for the same reason? Yeah. yeah. So, But I okay. don't think you were saying it's impossible. Just not practical. No. The response is a little more nuanced yeah. than that. But yes, exactly. It was in reality. Yeah. Could I actually claim? Could could I design a system that would meet Sony's requirements and be secure? No, you just can't. There are. Could you do better than Sony? Yes. Yes, <laughs> and 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 you know, I, and I talked about a number of things that could be done. You know, I was. I, I've been like challenging myself in the week since I said that, kind of thinking, well, what would I do? And and something like of like whitelisting apps so so that only IT approved things will run on your machine. I like that. Yes. And then set up a virtual machine which does not have privileges on the network. But is like you know uses a, a, a like a, a a VLAN out to the internet, so that if somebody wants to do anything else, they can do it in this container without IT permission. But they can't access any resources within Sony. All they can do is get to the internet. So if they want to run QuickBooks or or you know or whatever, or run an unapproved browser or or some network-connected software, they can. But it won't run on their machine. It'll only run in the virtual machine. And the only thing the virtual machine can see is the Internet. It cannot see the rest of their machine or anything else. So that's that's the kind of thing that 
once you implement it, people kind of grumble. It's like, well, they didn't have this in my old job. And it's like, well, no, you know, we got security at this place. So, I mean, there are there are things you could do. Also, it really does seem like their network was just one mass of interconnectivity and siloing networks, which is, you know, some lack of convenience. But it does mean that that one entry point doesn't get you to the, you know, the entire corporate, you know, crown jewels everywhere. So anyway, I did want to clarify in case anyone else felt that. And I did see some some tweets to that effect. It was like, you know, what Gibson can't do it. It's like it's it's not possible because you have, first of all, a huge number of systems in which we are actually finding vulnerabilities constantly. And you've got the human factor. The human factor is why you have a company, I mean, of people and they're going to do dumb things. There just isn't any way to prevent that. There is a way to lock them down. And something like whitelisting apps on their machine that is connected and then giving them freedom in a virtual machine that is not part of the Sony network. That that would be an interesting thing to explore. Well, and we talked about AppLocker. I mean, that's something you can do. There's th- there are things yep. you can do. Yep, but I th- I think that 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 was kind of my point with the uh, the hack of the Sands Casino, where presumably they did everything you know anybody knew how to do. I can't imagine they weren't following best practices. You know, I'll bet that after that they're doing more. Yes. <laughs> so yes. so there's always so more. So yeah, so doesn't that tell us that yeah. they weren't doing everything they could do because there's no question that they're doing more now. And if Sony ever does recover, we know there will be changes there. Yeah. You hear it pouring rain here? I don't know if you I can do. Hear it. Yeah. I was thinking where is the where's yeah. who left the faucet uh, on? Popping corn or something. Wow. <laughs> Mark Jones, Midland, Michigan. He encountered some unsettling verification questions. Steve and Leo love the show. We'll look forward to it every week. When trying to schedule a FedEx delivery, I was asked to create an account. I've seen this, and I can explain what's going on. But I was shocked when a verification page confronted me with multiple choice questions about past addresses, last digits of my driver's license, names of others at my address, type of car registered to me. I was then even more shocked when it said that I had the answers wrong. (laughs) It then asked me a different set of equally curious questions. At first, I was shocked that FedEx could know any of these things. Next, I felt like I was providing data about myself that otherwise would be unknown. Others on the web have indicated FedEx is relying on credit reports. I decided I don't need a FedEx account. No question here. Just an alert at another unsettling turn of events. Leo might be right. The privacy battle is lost. No. There's good news. This isn't as bad as it looks. Just, I love the idea of you, you know, you encountering a security question, and it's like, what was the name of your childhood, <laughs> your first childhood sweetheart? And you type in Julie, nope. and it says, no, nope. have you forgot about Sarah? <laughs> and that would be scary. <laughs> this isn't quite that bad. There, he's right. It comes from credit bureau uh, information. I don't even think FedEx ever sees this. I've seen this. Many, I've been exposed this many so, times. So it's trying to, without knowing anything about you, trying to verify your identity you are as who, who you, you are you claiming are. to be. Right. So ah, it's an interesting pro- puzzle, right? You want to authenticate yeah. somebody, but you don't have any previous co- conversation with them. Right. So there's no password. 
Uh, there's no secret questions. It's like secret questions, but you don't. So the only thing you can do is you go to one of the three uh, reporting credit bureaus, and they provide you with these questions based on information that's in your credit report. Uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know what FedEx is doing, but the ones I have used, I'm pretty sure the way it works, these guys aren't seeing it. The intermediary is not seeing it. This is directly coming from as, a, as an interaction with Experian or TransUnion. Come to think of it, I've seen You've that. Seen I've encountered this. that too. You have, and I've and I and there've been like some strange addresses for me. It's like yeah, they'll wait give you a four, So what they'll do is they'll give you four addresses, three right, of which are right. bogus. One of right. which, and it often's not the full address, but it's did you ever live at Page Road? And and they'll give you four addresses, and you pick the one that you did live there, right? And 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 that's direct from your credit report because, of course, all of that stuff is stored on your credit report. Right, so they're matching up your real-world identity right. with your cyber identity. And they're not gathering new information at all. It's like secret questions, but you just haven't prearranged the answers. Right. Um, so I don't – I unless you can think of a – I guess one issue would be if the third party were intermediating. So if FedEx saw the questions, got the answers, and then, you know, if it, if it, can, if it made the quiz based on – downloading your your credit report well but they have access to your credit report yeah. if if you if you're applying for credit or you know they're you have to give them access to your credit report in some cases at which point they know all that anyway if you've ever given any company your social security number that's because they use it to access your credit report data, I, data birth name data birth and social is enough to get your credit report so i don't yeah i don't think it's an issue but you have to be the judge, of course. I think it's just, it, it's just solving an interesting question. How do you authenticate somebody you've never met? Yeah, how, how do you match their real-world true identity with their, their cyber yeah. personality? And the only way you could do that is with a third party that did know something. Yep. Mike Vore, Columbia, Maryland, wonders about Sony exfiltration. I love that name, that word, exfiltration. Yeah. I've been wondering, how could that much data be taken off-site without the knock noticing that much traffic? The network operations center. Even with fast fiber, it takes a lot of sustained bandwidth to move that much data. An extra megabyte or even gigabyte a day might not be noticed, but we're talking 12 terabytes. That's either high bandwidth or a long time. What is? See, I, Sony, of course, is not telling anybody. The FBI is not telling anybody how any of this happened. What's your speculation about how this might have happened? Um, what I many people ask this question, and I just when I, when I when I encountered it the first time I encountered it, I added it to the show today because I wanted to respond to it. I had the same thought myself when we learned how much data it was, but then I thought, can you? We're talking Sony, Sony Pictures Entertainment. Can you imagine how much? content how much media how much data they must have transacting over their internet i mean over their intranet to the internet and you know the fact is one you know 12 terabytes for a major corporation's network yeah that's in the noise i mean that's that's i mean you know, and and we do know that the some of the data was snapshotted on November twenty third, and what maybe a week later. So we don't know how long they were there pulling other stuff. Um, we do know, for example, that they use Sony's own servers to seed some of the torrents, which is that's, <laughs> so that, ironic. That, I just love that. 
Um, so there it's sort of like trickling out over time and as people use it, you know, the way torrents will. Um, so anyway, I, I just think, you know, if it was our network, you know, our individual networks, yeah, we would notice if 12 terabytes was trying to leave. But boy, a major, a major media Net, you know, corporation the size of Sony. Yeah, I, I just, I, who, Lord knows how much bandwidth they must have, and uh, yeah, I, I just think it actually could over if spread out over time, it would just probably sneak right out. Just, just, I wouldn't even know they wouldn't see it as a blip compared to like you know movies that they've got coming and going across their their fiber connections i would bet that uh you know digital uh, movies now are distributed over the internet as yep. downloads i would bet that some of that came from sony's servers among other things yep i also well, think actually we know because a bunch of movies were, were on exfiltrated the well but those weren't the those weren't projection copies those were the uh, ah. screeners kind of ah. low quality in fact dvd copies that uh, leaked out as far as i know i've not downloaded them i'm told hardly worth going to find <laughs> <laughs> really? No kidding. I'm Besides not... Annie, I, Annie, I can live without, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can wait till Christmas Day. Thank you very yeah, much. That's right. Um, and then there's also the suspicion, you know, I wonder, I guess we'll never really know what really I'm happens. hoping, I'm hoping that, you know, because it, it would really be fun to get that, the technical readout. I would have no problem revealing that kind of information. If Even yep. if we came by it illegally... I would absolutely reveal that information because that is something very, very valuable. The public does have a right to know how did Sony get hacked, what happened, yep. et cetera, et cetera. There is some suspicion, you know, Sony got hacked and didn't want to talk about it in February. And uh, and there's a – I can't – maybe is even part of the treasure trove that's been leaked. There was a memo saying we're not going to alert the uh, affected parties that we got hacked. And that was in February. So uh, it wouldn't – and by the way, there, there's a, a, there is a little bit of a nexus because that hack was something, had something to do with Brazil. And there was a, a significant number of Portuguese and Brazilian documents in the trove. Yes. We talked about that last week. And I also heard you say on the tech guy over the weekend to somebody who was had a virus, you correctly said, there's no way to get rid of it. Right. You know, once it's in there – you that, can never know. That could have been the vector back in February. And who knows? Maybe yep. they've been leaking data, a, you know, a terabyte a week since then. I mean, there is this notion of a foothold. You get in and then you go quiet right. and you protect yourself right. and you, you, you scrounge around. Really interesting. Uh, I, I, I wish we could know the truth of this. And that, I think, would be very useful for, for prophylaxis for future. Yeah. Stéphane Blay in Gatineau, Quebec, Canada, wonders, what if Sony was a bank? Stephen Leo, long-time listener, big fan, yada, yada. As big as Sony's recent hack was, I can't help getting but getting shivers when I imagine how devastating an attack like that would be if it were a bank instead of Sony. How disruptive would that be? And for all we know, those things are happening too. In last week's podcast, 485, you mentioned how impossibly hard it would be to secure Sony's network. Would it not be just as hard to secure a bank from a determined attacker? Are banks really that much ahead of the game or are we all in denial? I don't want to be unfair to banks, but I do have a vested interest since my bank has my money. And I expect it's the same for you. Thank you. Optional yada yada extra. On a personal note, I want to thank you for 
both for the amazing education I'm getting from security now. I work as a security professional. And it's amazing how many times I, I look smart because of stuff I hear on your show. I'm also convinced I passed my CISSP exam because of you. Thank you both and keep up the great work, Stefan. So I think it is without question that banks are more secure in the same way that casinos are more secure. Um, and we could almost look at Sony as an example of the other end of the spectrum. That is, but if nothing else, how many attacks has Sony suffered? How many password breaches? I mean, the, Sony has been a, a a constant victim over, you know, we've talked about multiple Sony problems over the years. And for whatever reason, they seem to keep having them. So, so it is certainly the case that lax security makes you more likely to get attacked and that a bank by its very nature is about security and privacy and secrecy sony as sort of the, the, the like the generic business operating corporate side they're not they're about you know donald duck and mickey mouse and you know and, and movies and oh yeah well okay <laughs> you know, movies and you know actors and you know all that i they're mean artists so, they're artists they're not right. security professionals perfect per perfect yes artists <laughs> although yeah, so, although uh, a couple of things we know banks get hacked all the time and don't report it a, they just absorb the loss. And we know that happens yep. every day. It's not like the Sony hack, because the Sony hack, they got everything. Although, who well, would care or, if they or, released a bank vice president's email? Really? Yeah. You, I, you, I, what, what, what is being, you know, what, the loss that they're absorbing, though, is more of, you know, like Funds. vendors lo losing their credit cards who then, you know, turn to the bank and say, okay, you know, we got you, we have to replace all these cards. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think that banks also lose money. Yeah, they lose money to hacks, and uh, they just they just cover it and move on. Well, and and that's a good point. We also know that banking customers lose money. There there's all kinds of wire fraud and money transfer fraud where somebody says, "Hey, I you know all the money in my account is gone," yeah. and we've and we've we've discussed who is responsible in that event. Uh, and I erroneously said that the that the user, the victim was responsible, but it turned out that there was a difference between personal and, and corporate accounts in terms of what was insured and what wasn't. And, and then Sheldon Adelson, who is probably as protected as most banks, got hacked, right? Yeah. Chase Bank was hacked. Info stolen for 83 million accounts. That was in October. Hackers ah. attack. Cracked 10 financial firms in major assault. That was in October, including J.P. Morgan. Remember? Yep. Uh, I mean, this stuff happens. Yeah, it We're is just used to it. You know what? We're just used to it. Yep. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, not, it's not not happening. <laughs> it isn't. We're just used to it. In fact, I don't think, you know, we didn't talk much about That's where this, see, maybe they, okay, you know what? This backs what you're saying up. Because J.P. Morgan got hacked badly last, in, for 83 million accounts. An untold amount of money uh, just, a, just a couple of months ago. And nobody talked about it that much. Sony gets hacked and a few stars' salaries get revealed and it's the talk of the town for weeks. So yeah. that does back up your argument that, there, that it's not a bad thing to reveal this because it just does raise awareness.
I think it's human nature. We, yeah. It's got to be bad for anyone to say, oh, I really don't want that to happen yeah. to me. And by the way, Chase uh, didn't want to reveal that it had been hacked. The, uh, no, it, it, it hurts its reputation. Yeah. And, and their reputation really matters. Yeah. yeah. Well, Steve, uh, I think that's it. I don't see a question 10. Nope, I think we're once done. again, you've aced it. You are an A-plus student in my book. I don't care what SSL Lab says. Thank you so much for uh, the good work you do. And it is, it's always, a, it's an education listening to security now. We do it every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 2100 UTC. You do stop by and participate live. It's great. You can even come by the studio if you want. We always have somebody in this. People love you. There's always people watching, you know, in the studio. Uh, email tickets at twit.tv and we'll make sure we have a seat for you. This is, this, my studio, the little one is, uh, a little constrained. There are only really three good seats. We could say there's a <laughs> well, few, there's four. a few obstructed we got, we views. Got it. We, yours is one of the best. I have seats a good seat. <laughs> you got the best. But there's seat a couple there. of obstructed views. So let us know ahead of time. Uh, you can also uh, get on-demand versions of this show in several places. This is one show where Steve has a copy of it, uh, which is unusual. But Steve likes to host 16 kilobit audio versions and handcrafted transcriptions at his site, grc.com. We have the larger audio files and video, too, at twit.tv slash sn. And, of course, you can always subscribe on your favorite iCatcher, iTunes or Xbox or whatever it is you use to, to listen to podcasts. Don't forget to go to grc.com to get SpinRight, the world's best hard drive maintenance and recovery utility. There's lots of freebies there, too, and you can find out more about Squirrel next week. It's your talk from, uh, what was that, a Vegas uh, hacker con or something? Or? Yes, it was November 7th. It was DigiCert's Security ah, Summit. Okay. And I gave a really nice presentation, if I do say so myself, of uh, sort of soup to nuts, right. if I may, uh, for Squirrel. And uh, uh, so that'll be the Christmas special content. Next week, December 23rd. And then we will be back live on December 30th. We can wrap up the year in hacks. <laughs> yep, we'll do. And I'm going to give a squirrel demo during oh, that Oh, we're that? Oh. It's running. Yay. That's exciting. Yep. So yep. next gonna, week, our holiday gonna, special. It's going to, it's going to, you're going to, your mouth's going to hang I open. Can't you're going to say, wait a minute. That's actually, that works. That's secure. I go, yep. That's all there is to it. So exciting. That's really exciting. Uh, so that's December 30th. Make sure you tune in for that. Steve, I'm not going to see you till uh, New Year's. I know you're coming up for New Year's Eve. That'll be fun. Yeah, I'm actually. I'm going to come up a few days before and join uh, you guys at in the washed the, uh, out house, the, the host party, yeah. and uh, and then be hanging around. That'll be a lot of fun. I can't wait. It will. Three a.m. New Year's Eve. Three a.m. Two three a.m. New Year's Day. Twenty four hours of 2015. I'm going to stay up late. Steve did it last time with me. I, bet, I, bet I also signed up. I signed up for doing something in front of a green screen with you. I'm not sure what I I got myself into, but some sort of uh, like uh, I don't know. I think uh, we're doing. I, I, uh, I think we're acting out uh, a Flimstones episode, and you're Bam Bam. Oh, good. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> we're doing it for a charity, though, so you should really do anything. You know, you should really step up because this is all to raise money for UNICEF, the United Nations Children's Fund, which does. Great work all over the world, including in the Ebola-ravaged areas of Africa. They've really been going, doing good stuff there. So uh, we Neat. thought it'd be good to take... We, we, we were going to do it anyway. Why not do it for a good cause? Yeah. We're going to have auction items, uh, giveaways. It's going to be fun. Neat. Thanks, Steve. Have a great Christmas. Won't see you till uh, after uh, the holidays. 
Right. Have a great week, and I'll uh, see you a week after next. Take care. Bye. Security.